Let's look at Shamar Bridges, Joshua Williams, and James Hughes at OTAs. And how did Howard's 4 by 4 and Randolph Ross fare at NCAA Outdoors? Oh, yeah. It's Locked on HBCU. Play my music. You are Locked on HBCU, your daily podcast covering HBCU sports. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, family? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On HBCU Podcast, your number one daily one-stop shop for everything HBCU athletics, Monday through Friday, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I, of course, am Darian Gray, a.k.a. the Mouth of the South, Texas Southern alum and former TSU editor. Thank you for going on a journey with me, making Locked On HBCU your first listen of the day every day and remember the mic cuts off but the journey does not stop so make sure you are following me at twitter or excuse me at south exclusives on twitter and today's episode is brought to you by bet online they have you covered this season with more odds props and lines than ever before bet online where the game starts and we're reaching the end of otas most teams are finished with their otas and they're getting ready to go into camp mini camp so i just thought we'd take a look at how some of our hbcu products are doing We've talked to Mark about Marquise Bell. We talked about how he's looked really good and has been kind of still in a show at points. We spoke on him. Um, I want to get to some of the other players, though, right? I want to talk about Shamar Bridges, Joshua Williams, and James Houston. And I'm going to start off with Shamar Bridges. He's an undrafted free agent that is not getting a lot of love as far as publicity and buzz i feel like he's under the radar he's a friend of the show he's been on here i spoke to him right and we're going to talk about some of the things that we've spoken about on air in a little bit but as far as hbcu players go you hear a lot about marquis bell you hear a lot about uh houston um the kobe durant williams not so you're not even so much about carter but he plays offensive line so we'll let that slide but you got to understand, Shamar Bridges plays wide receiver, and he got an undrafted free agent contract, and he made it through the rookie mini camps, and he's made it through OTAs now. He has been performing pretty well. I think that when you're looking at what Shamar Bridges has done coming out of Fort Valley State, signing that contract, we should be talking about him more. And honestly, I don't know why we aren't. I'm just being real. I don't see his name brought up in a lot of circles as far as players who are doing much. Maybe I'm not in the right circles, but when I've from what I've been hearing, as far as how he's performed with the Ravens, this is the guy that has a legitimate chance at making a roster. That's not the main point here. We'll talk about it, but that is not the main point here. But he has a legitimate shot. Let's look at him because when we've had him on the show, he's a player who has talked about defying big guy stereotypes. He talked about that when he came on Locked on HBCU. And if you didn't, if you don't have that episode, I might tweet that episode out. Because he did a, that was a really good interview and I enjoyed it. So I might tweet that out um, after this episode goes out as well. But he talked about that when we were at the HBCU Combine, just defying the big guy stereotypes, basically not being stiff, being able to move, being a twitchy guy. Those are the things that he prided himself on having. But let's not get it twisted. Being able to not be stiff, being able to be twitchy does not mean that he doesn't understand he's a big guy. He's 6'4". He ain't wasting the frame just because he prides himself in breaking down those stereotypes. Doesn't mean the stereotypes of big, the things big guys naturally do is something that he's unable of having or unable of doing. He still boxes guys out. 
He still uses his size when he needs to. And those are the things that have been actually credited. I kind of find it ironic because, mind you, when we talked both in the con at the combine and then also on the show, Bridges was talking about how defying big guy stereotypes, I can move, I can be twitchy, all of those things. And then he goes to the camp and people are like, man, this guy knows how to use his size. He's consistently boxing people out. Now, he's putting on a good showing. In the first three sessions of OTAs, they came out with observations after each session. So session one, observation, session two, observations, and session three. His name popped up every single session. That's impressive. And I'm look, I was looking for him, but I can't make his words, make his name magically appear. If I say, all right, session one, I hope something about Shamar Bridges is here. It don't matter how much I hope. If he wasn't balling, it's not going to be there. And he was balling. You could see it. And like I said, this isn't about how do you make the roster. But if it was about that, well, he's doing a pretty good job. You're looking at a guy who they brought in a lot of wide receivers. The Baltimore Ravens are clearly invested in adding a receiver into the team. They brought in six undrafted free agents. And in the wide receiver coach, when he was, I believe, mic'd up at one of the practices, he really highlighted two guys, Shamar Bridges and Slade Bolden. Now the Ravens have, and this isn't a Ravens podcast, but I do want to break down how Shamar Bridges fares right now as far as we know he's balling in OTAs because, I, I mean, I just told you, I listed it out. He had a play against Marlon Humphrey. We'll talk about some of his plays in a minute. But he had a play against Marlon Humphrey. So we know that he's playing well. But how does that translate into making the roster? Because let's be real. I know that's what you want to know. You want to know if he's going to be playing for the Ravens this year, if he's going to be suiting up in that black and purple. And I think that he has a really good shot. And some of the writers who were talking about how this battle, per se, could, pair, could pan out said, I think that Bridges has the inside track as well. And that's because he's 6'4". And I just think it's funny that I spoke to Bridges twice, both times highlights the fact that he's not stereo, a stereotypical big receiver. And now when you come in, his size is the thing that people think may lead to him having a roster spot over Slade Bolden, who's 5'11". Now, the Ravens have four wide receivers that they know are going to make it, and that fifth spot is up for grabs. They even think a sixth spot might come up because, you know, you're not going to hold more than six, but you might not hold more than five. But if they do ha have that extra spot, then it'll probably go to both Slade Bolden and Shamar Bridges. But if they don't, it sounds as if Bridges' size, which is something they don't have a lot of, will be the reason that he actually makes the team. So I love it. I absolutely love it. And if we're looking at the plays that he's made, he had a play where he had to box out a cornerback. He's consistently done that. He had a play where a touchdown where he actually had to rip the ball away. Another big guy move. And then he had a play where, yes, deep on a long pattern against Marlon Humphrey, one of the best cornerbacks in the league. Some say he might have got away with a push off, but hey, they don't call that on the, on the wide receiver a lot. So who knows? He, he might have pushed off and still got away with it in a real game. But he, he, he brought in the ball, and that's what's important. So Shamar Bridges has consistently been playing well at OTAs, having his name consistently popped up. And when mic'd up, the wide receiver coach listed him in one other player at a position that might have two spots open. I'm not telling you that he's going to make the roster, but I am telling you that he has a very good shot at making that roster.
Now, going forward, we're going to talk about two other rookies in Joshua Williams and James Houston. James Houston is back with an intriguing placement as far as if he's going to play defensive line or if he's going to play linebacker. I think the Lions are actually doing this the right way, and I'll tell you about that more after I tell you about my good friends at Bet Online because game five is tonight. It's 2-2. It's a new series. It felt as if everything was leading to Boston winning game four and then this series kind of being over. Now it's reborn. Who do you have? Are we going to see somebody in six, somebody in seven? I'm interested. Boston is coming back to San Francisco for game five. Who do you have? Go to bet online and tell me right there. Are you taking Boston? You're taking uh, Golden State? You're taking the point to know what are you doing? Whatever you're doing, make sure that you are doing it at betonline.net. And in addition to the basketball, you can also talk about the MLB. You can also talk about your favorite Vegas casino games. You can talk about esports. You can talk about the NFL and the futures. It's never too soon to put some money down. I've been telling y'all, they got the New Orleans Saints at eight and a half over under. That's easy money. Put some money down on it. Let Ross Jackson tell you why it locked on Saints. He will give you everything you could possibly need so that you can go to betonline.net, the fastest and easiest. Where the wager on all of your favorite sports, BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, let's keep on rolling on today's episode of Locked on HBCU. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day every day. And make sure you're checking out the Ultimate NBA Mock Draft starting this Thursday, June 16th. With over 50 insiders, nothing equals the Ultimate NBA Mock Draft. The Locked on NBA Big Board Draft experts plus the Odyssey insiders, the first pick is June 16th. Search Ultimate NBA Mock Draft and follow now so you do not miss a pick. And today's word of the day is burgle. It means to illegally enter a building and steal things. I hope y'all not out here burgling, okay? Um, and don't be listening to my podcast if you are burgling, at least not while you're burgling, okay? Maybe, never mind. Don't burgle. Don't burgle, okay? That's the point of the story. Anywho, let's talk about James Houston and Joshua Williams' performances during OTAs, I want to give a little bit of an in, insight on how they performed because we've talked about both of these guys, but time has passed and things have happened both on, on honestly both sides where I feel like James Houston is a guy who is in flux. Similarly to Shamar Bridges, there is absolutely no guarantee and should feel no confidence based off of draft positioning, not talent, any of that, just simply draft positioning that they're going to make the roster as far as has a roster spot already secured. That's what I should say. As a seventh round or a sixth round pick, excuse me, in an undrafted free agent, you don't have a draft pick already secured or a roster spot already secured for you. You got to go out there. You got to go get it. Well, I think Joshua Williams, a fourth round pick, he has more of a time to learn, especially in a situation that he's in. I'm pick. You're likely going to make the roster. You don't have to kind of, scratching claw to make it so i want to keep it keep it on james houston for right now because he's kind of in that same situation that shamar bridges was where he's having to prove himself and last time that we discussed james houston we were talking about how he's playing off ball linebacker meaning he doesn't have his hand in the dirt he's not lined up at an edge rusher mind you he's in a 4-3 system which is already interesting to me i personally and this is just me I personally like him in a 3-4 system. Going to the NFL, we're looking at measurements that I've seen between 225, 241. 
If he's closer to 225, I completely understand why they have him at off-ball linebacker, but I think he's closer to 241. And you can you can bulk him up. Get that boy a built bar. Put that man on a built bar diet every morning. Make sure you start your day off with a built bar. All right. Then you can look like me, the mouth of the south. <laughs> no, but put that man on a built bar regimen where he can be eating good. You know what I'm saying? 17 grams of protein. Y'all know, y'all know the drill. But James Houston closer to two, 241. You can bulk him up. And I think he can be a, a, a four three edge, but I think his best position would have been a three four outside linebacker. That's where I would have liked him at. But he's in a four three, and now it brings on the question of where does he play as a fourth as a three four linebacker? More likely than not, you're going to have him on the edge. I think it was a, an easy decision if he's in a three four, but in a four three, you kind of have to question: Do you want him to have his hand in the dirt, or do you want him standing up? We'll see. I personally would have had his hand in the dirt because I believe in keeping people where they were. And I also think he's closer to 241. We're going to operate this whole conversation under the assumption he's closer to 241. I've seen it vary, but I am moving as if he's 241, okay? So I just want to get that out there so we can understand and I have to keep clarifying. So if he's 241, I'm putting him in his hand in the dirt because I've seen him play against everybody in the SWAC. I've seen him play against South Carolina State. I've seen him play against University of Louisiana uh, at Monroe. Uh, I think I think that's all the schools I can think of on top of my head that they played in last year's um, schedule. I've seen him do that. I've seen him be successful at it. I've seen him go to bowl games and be successful rushing with his hand in the dirt, coming off the edge. I've also seen him do it with this. I've also seen him successful as an off-ball linebacker. I will give them that. But I found more success with his hand in the dirt. So that's what I would have done. But I understand putting him in off-ball linebacker. He was re- he was recruited to Florida as an off-ball linebacker. So it all makes sense. I completely get it. It's just not what I would have done. Now, word is, word is basically he he played a whole practice as a as a defensive end in, in the recent practice towards the end of OTAs. And one of the athletic writers for the Detroit Lions said, Ricky James Houston has been bouncing between the linebacker and defensive line groups in practices that we've seen. But today's the first time I recall him, him doing extensive work with his hand in the dirt. He was a defensive lineman for almost all the practice and played some defensive end in base set. That's what I would have liked for him. But maybe they're just doing a situation where we kind of feel out he's been bouncing between linebacker and defensive end. Which one does he do best? We've seen him play all day at, at linebacker before. I, I read that. So now maybe the time comes where he's all day at defensive end, and they just want to see what he fits at best. And I could completely see that going through the rest of training camp. I don't know if I love it for him because that instability, that uncertainty about where he's going to play, unless you really like the player and already know you're going to put him on the roster, that not having one spot to really specialize in, not having that one position to say i'm this it's kind of the you have two quarterbacks you have no quarterback situation so i hope that before the second training the second preseason game you're looking at a guy who knows exactly where he's playing i really hope he already knows coming into preseason i would like for him to have a standard position and occasionally drop down or occasionally back up that's what i would like to see that's my goal for james houston and the detroit lions by the time preseason rolls around if he's going to be a linebacker, let him be a linebacker. And if you want him occasionally to drop down the defensive end, I'm okay with that. If he's going to be a defensive end, which he did very well at Jackson State and occasionally drop back to having his hand out of the dirt, I'm okay with that. But a situation where he continuously backs 
or bounces back and forth and doesn't have any stability and maybe cost him a, a position. I mean, it cost him a roster spot. I'm not okay with that. That's not what I want. So let's move forward to James or to Joshua Williams in Kansas City and his highs or, oh, my gosh, you're looking at a guy who at his high was called the best player on the field. And we all know he has the traits. Sometimes when you come from a small school, especially a Division II school, they're looking at a year to just get right, to get ready. And they did draft the cornerback ahead of him. But you could see a situation where injuries force him into the, into the uh, starting lineup. That's not how I want him to get in the starting lineup, but I could see it happening. So with all that being said, his high of being the best player on the field, and there's a Kelsey, there's a Mahomes on the field for Kansas City. I love it. I absolutely love it because now you see how well he's performing. He, he picked off Chad Henney. It wasn't Mahomes, but he picked off Chad Henney in, in practice, and he just looked phenomenal. This was on a June 2nd practice. Mind you, this is just an overall look at what they have done during OTAs. This is not a time-based, oh, he did this this Friday or something. This is just looking at what he's done. If he can continue to achieve these highs, because they worked with some technical aspects with him and we're trying to get some kinks out, to go from having these kinks or working some kinks out to being the best player on the field during a practice is a big jump. And that's a trajectory that you should feel optimistic about. I'm not saying he's going to be the best player in practice. It's going to be a day one shutdown corner from the jump. But what I am saying is you went from we're working some kinks out with Joshua Williams to he was the best player on the field this day. That trajectory, if you're on YouTube, you see it, right? If you're not on YouTube, I still love you. But this trajectory is going up. That's what you want to see out of Joshua Williams right now. Joshua Williams is a player who I don't want to call him a project because I don't think that's fair. I think that's actually kind of disrespectful. But he's a player who, as a D2 guy, a lot of times is going to have time to develop or given expected to give time to develop. And it seems like he's developing quite fast already. James Houston is a guy who... There's some back and forth about what he's going to play. But I think they're figuring out exactly what it's going to be. One thing that does not have to be figured out is that the Howard Lady Bison 4x4 team is phenomenal. And if you ask David Oliver, they're once in a generation. We'll talk about that and what North Carolina A&T's Aggies team did in the NCAA Outdoor Championships as we continue with Locked on HBCU. All right, wrapping up today's episode of Locked on HBCU, I want to highlight the Howard's Lady Bison 4x4 team. It's not Friday, but that's okay because Feature Friday isn't the only day that we can highlight people. This ain't a Feature Monday. It's just breaking, it down, breaking down a great team, a team that if you ask track and field director at Howard University, David Oliver, he's going to tell you is a once in a generation, not once in a lifetime, not once in a four or five years. No, this is a once in a generation team According to them, and if you want to say it's hyperbolic, which, I mean, when you look at what they've done and how they got to where they got, I don't know if I would call it hyperbolic. But if you want to claim hyperbole, then you have to understand it's only by a small margin. You don't throw terms like once in a generation around the scrubs. You don't throw once in a generation around the good players. They're only, or athletes, the only people who get that once in a generation label placed on them are people who are great. So let's be very clear. Even if you don't like hearing once in a generation or whatever, and you say, let's take that away. Let's still understand they are great athletes, a great team. This is a group of women who I know they didn't do it by themselves, but they were at the front. They, they kind of are the faces in sorts 
of women's track and field at Howard University. This is a team that spurred the first MEAC indoor championship in 40 years. Spurred the first MEAC outdoor championship in 40 years. And this is the first time in Howard's history that they have ever swept all the MEAC championships, meaning they won indoors and outdoors on the women's side. This is the first time they ever did that. They spurred that as well. I think this is enough to create a lasting impact in school history. That's enough. I don't need to say anymore. I can stop right there, but I'm not. I'm not going to stop right there because in addition to that, they also just had their final hurrah at the 2022 outdoor championships in which they placed sixth place, but they won, or excuse me, they set a school record. They set a conference record. They were doing phenomenal and put their names in a record book in their last hurrah. The last race that these four women will ever have together was one that goes down in the record books. That is a legendary way to just say, or throw the peace sign, had to get my camera right, right? So make sure I'm in frame, throw the peace sign, wave, salute. That's how you say goodbye. That is a perfect sign out. And one more reason that they're once in a generation is the story that goes with them. See, I felt as if when David Oliver gave that statement of them being once in a generation, the sentence that he said after that was just as important in explaining why they are. And he said this right here, said why they were special. All four have shown what is capable when you come to this program, commit to the process and buy in fully. They are the standard. Now, A, that is a phenomenal recruiting pitch. Let's just say that. This they show what is capable when you come to the program, commit to the process and buy in fully. That's a first first team All-American. That's what's capable. So I love that recruiting pitch. But he really means that because you look at Jessica Goodbye. You look at Amina Salih. You look at uh, Oziyama Scott. You're looking at three women who walked on at Howard four years ago. That's what you're looking. You're looking at four women who walked on at Howard. Man, I, when you saw what these women or three women who did that, when you saw what these women had done, you had to feel like you burgled some talent. You had to feel like, oh, my gosh, I, I, I got away with this. This is a steal. This is a steal to get three women this talented running the same event to be on a relay team in one year. And they walked on there under recruited. This is a great story. They did this. Right. And now you transition from being a walk on to being a first team All-American. The only person I didn't name in there is Jessica Wright. She's still there. She'll be a senior next year. And hey, let's not forget, she might have three new partners next year, but she's holding on her own as far as individual awards or individual uh, races. She ran the 400 as well. She had a great as far as just being one of the best in the 400, being one of the best in the 4x4 at her or in Howard. You got to love it. You got to love it. So we'll see where they go. We'll see where they go. But I want to also transition real quick and go talk about North Carolina A&T. There was high hopes. Unfortunately, they didn't hit them, but we're not going to focus on that. They came in at night for Randolph Ross. He did what he needed to do. Randolph Ross is a guy who I don't think there's any doubt he's the best 400 runner. In, in collegiate running, right? He has to be one that on the indoors, one outdoors. He's he's the guy. And he's been in the Olympics. He is somebody who has proven himself. I don't know what else he needs to do. So we don't need to talk about him. Javante Harding, I think, was really on his way to having a phenomenal performance. He ended up getting third in the in the 100 meter finals. 
and he was really close for second and he was close to actually sending his, his season best as well he didn't get it but he had a phenomenal showing and he had a, he had what would have been his career best in the 200 had he not taken steps out of his lane who knows what he would have done in the finals but he had a run as far as 100 and 200 he came and stepped up and he rose to the occasion. I wish he didn't take those steps out so we could have at least seen it in the record books. And then on the women's side, you had Miss Grace, who made it to the 100 final as a freshman, set her career best in the 100 and 200 prelims. So when the stakes were highest, letting it be known that I may be a freshman, but I'm primed and I'm ready to take over. I can't wait to see if Randolph Ross, Javante Harding, and Miss Grace all stay at North Carolina A&T with Dwayne Ross leaving. But I'll tell you one person that isn't leaving, and that's me. I'm staying here locked on HBCU. So make sure you continue making us your first listen of the day. Every day I will see you on Wednesday as we discuss why Isaiah Land decided to stay at Florida A&M. Now, in the meantime, in between time, for your second listen of the day, make sure that you are checking out Locked On NBA Big Boards with Rafael Barlow in the game, breaking down everything you could possibly need for the NBA draft cycle, including, of course, your NBA Big Boards. Now, if you're trying to keep up with me, follow me on Twitter, at South Exclusives. Until the next time that we hear each other, family, take care, stay blessed. Peace.